This has been my uh, one of my favorite series. Now, confession time. Uh, typically, when I get into a, uh, into a series, it's usually my favorite series as I'm teaching it, and then I get to the next one, and then it's like my favorite one. So right now, this is my favorite series that I, I've ever done, ever. Uh, I, mostly because I get to mess with you with these Mandela effect things. It, it's been it's been so fun. I, and it's funny because how many of you like send messages, uh, text messages? I've, I've gotten mess, text messages uh, debating my Mandela effects. There, I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, we've gotten it's it's been a lot of fun. So. Uh, now that I've I spoiled it for you, you know I'm going to give you something that you think you know, but you really don't know. All right? So you ready? You re- are you ready? You, you think you're going to know this answer, you're going to still get it wrong. What is this TV show? Come on, you know you're at Authentic Church when that's the first post I put up. Uh, <laughs> how many other churches are you going to go to? What's the name of that show? Say it real loud. What? Sex in the City? That's what everybody thinks it is. It's actually Sex and the City. Yeah, I'm serious. You look it up, it's true. You mess, I'm messing with your brains. Okay, now, uh, this one, the 9 o'clock did not know the answer to this. So this, this movie, this is a, uh, a screen shot from a, uh, from a, a movie. Um, does anybody know the movie? Okay, you're all going to hell if you watch that movie. No, I'm just joking. You're, <laughs> this is like, okay, I do not, I'll, I'll be honest. Every other Mandela effect, I have gone and made sure it, like, the information I was getting was correct. On this one, I will not check. I do not watch movies like this. I am a big sissy. When it comes to scary movies, the scariest movie I've watched is Scream. <laughs> and most of you think it's a comedy. I, I have nightmares. This, though, like, seriously, this, this kind of movie's messed with me. I, I do not know. I've seen clips of this. The only thing I know about this movie is actually from The Cable Guy, when Jim Carrey puts on the chicken, and he goes, and he quotes this part, this scene, I'm told, is the scene he's quoting from. What is the famous line in this scene? Hello, Kareem. See, I don't even, see, I don't know. How's it sound? How's it sound? I don't know. You guys, it's it. That actually, what he actually says there in the first opening line is not hello, Clarice. It is morning. <laughs> okay, that's a freaky show. I'm not watching it. And if you watched it, I'm praying for you, okay? Uh, <laughs> but it's uh, it, actually that line, hello, Clarice, is not in the movie anywhere. Uh, so you can actually, I, I, you can go and verify it for me. Uh, then you can come back next week and get saved again. Uh, so <laughs> Just joking. I don't have the ability to send anybody to hell. Uh, but uh, but th- all these things, we think we know something, and it turns out we don't. It, we think we know something. And h- here's the bottom line of this whole series, is that when you learn something wrong, you live it wrong. When you learn something wrong, you end up living it wrong. And we've been kind of going through these, uh, what, what it is, and the idea of faith. We have an idea, we have mythology within Christianity about faith and how it's supposed to work and how it's supposed to affect me and how I'm supposed to live my life based upon it. And we have these ideas. And today I want to talk about when your faith is tested. See, here's a lot of times I've heard people say this. I, I, I don't have enough faith because I'm questioning my faith. I don't have enough faith because I don't have, because I'm questioning my faith. My faith is being tested. I'm going through a difficult time. I'm being challenged. I'm being, I'm going through this. I've gotten this bad news and I don't have enough faith for the situation. Therefore, I must be the one that's messed up. 
I don't have enough faith. I just need to get more faith. And like, it's something like we're just going to conjure up, make, make up a batch of faith and cook it and make it. It's going to be something we can all enjoy, right? That faith doesn't, it's, it's kind of silly. I've even heard people, good meaning leaders in Christianity say something along the lines, well, you just need more faith to take that next step. And then the question immediately is, well, if I can't, if I'm not ready to take that step, then that means my faith is wrong or my God is wrong. And so I want to, I want to talk to you this morning about when faith gets t- uh, tested and where, what we need, how we need to approach life that way. So there's some great examples in the Bible about faith being tested. In fact, uh, in Hebrews, there's uh, two chapters that back to back talk about faith. It's Hebrews 11 and 12 going into 13 all talk about faith and how, what it, what it is and the examples of faith. And it's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, there's this list of, of uh, time after time. And it says, it is by faith that, starts with Abel, that he was able to sacrifice. Then it goes, goes all the way to Rahab, who we talked about in the series about in Strong. It is, was by faith that she was willing to risk herself and protect the spies. It was by faith. And then it goes into verse 32. It says, how much more do I need to, to, uh, to say? So the author of Hebrews, who we don't know who it is exactly, uh, says, what, what more do I need to convince you about the power of faith? He says, it would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. He says, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. So there's a whole list of people I could keep going on, these great stories of great faith. He says, how they ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions and quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. So there it is. There's our, uh, this, this list of things. And we're all like, Ooh, I want that kind of faith. And then we have situations where our faith is challenged, our faith is tested, and we go, well, I can't be that kind of person because I can't go through those situations. I don't have enough faith. And here's what I want to do. I want to look at those guys right there, the quenched, uh, those that were quenched the flames of fire. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You, you may remember them from, from your childhood stories of what took place where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. It's a good, good story. Uh, I want to I revisit it. And because if there's an illustration in the Bible about uh, the, an account where it tells us how faith was tested. I think these three young men show us how we can walk in our lives with our t- faith being tested. And it actually turns out to be, uh, okay, we, we need to be tested. <laughs> we need to be tested. Problem is, we have, we have a love-hate relationship with, with, uh, with tests, don't we? I, I do. I hate tests. I, I, I hate taking tests. I hate I hated tests growing up. How, how many How many of you love taking tests? Show me hands. There's some people that just love to take a test. Yeah, we hate you. Uh, you we, those that love to take tests, we don't like you. You're like you're the ones that were like you're the one that during like at the end of class and the teacher doesn't give homework. Like you said, you're going to give us homework. You're that kid. Okay. We still love you, <laughs> but we hate taking tests because tests we have to prepare for the test. But we also love tests, and here's why we love tests: because we love that other people have to take tests. I love the fact that doctors have to take tests. I appreciate that they need, that they are qualified, that they studied, that they did their you know they went out and got themselves prepared and studied and and got the test and and did okay. I, I appreciate that. I'm glad that I'm glad pilots take tests. 
Yeah, when I get on a plane, I'm glad I can look in there and go, okay, that guy has to take a test and pass the test for me to get on this, for him to be piloting this plane, right? That's a good feeling that they take a test. I'm glad there are people out there who like to get their flashcards out. Yes, and I, yeah, see, I, I'll be honest, in high school, I, I didn't do real well, um, grade-wise. Socially, I had a blast. I loved going to school. <laughs> I, I didn't enjoy grade card time. I, I, I went to school for the social part of it and for sports, and, and I didn't learn uh, about the power of grades until it was too late. Um, <laughs> so then I had to take the remedial algebra in college, because, <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that. Um, <laughs> So, but that was, uh, uh, those kids with the flashcards, I would, you know, be hopping down the hallway, you know, it's, oh man, I had my, you know, my MC Hammer pants on, I did not wear MC Hammer's pants, I'm joking, that was pre-me. I did peg my pants though, and I was really good at it. That was, that was our version of skinny jeans, the pegging pants, yeah, Uh, now you guys buy them that way, (laughs) We, we pegged our pants. Uh, if you need it taught, I can teach you how to peg your pants. Uh, but, but going down the hallway and then you go to the locker and you'd be like wanting to talk to them and they're like, I can't, I'm studying. And then they got their flashcards out and you'd just be like, nerd, you'll walk away. So I didn't like those kids either, but I love them now. I want to be that. I, I wish I would have been that person back when I was there. I wish I would have been that person, but the, the te- I'm glad people take tests because there's that love hate relationship with tests. And our test, when we're, our, te- our faith is tested, we need to understand what's happening. And so let's look at, uh, in this story, in Daniel chapter 5, Daniel, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, we get a, a picture here, uh, an, an introduction to what's happening. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, okay, so as soon as you begin to study scripture, what's the most important thing you need to look at? Okay, there's about six of you that are following along. So let me teach you. When, when you're studying scripture, the most important thing that you need to look at is... The second most important thing is... And the third most important thing is context. So that, that, whenever you get to this uh, uh, a message like this, you've got to jump in here. So we're introduced to this guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, why do I spend so much time on this? The reason I spend so much time developing context and laying a foundation is it's so important. It, studies are showing that more than 75, almost 80% of students who come out of high school who are go, a church-going high schoolers go to college, and when their faith is tested, they walk away from it. Why? Because they were just taught that this is a bunch of stories, and it's like a fairy tale, and they're like, well, Cinderella's not true, neither is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so the reason I spend so much time laying this foundation and giving you this context is that you understand this isn't just a, a book of stories. It's not just a book of something that we, we just like, like to tell and gives good, good thoughts. This is based upon any faith that we have needs to be based upon a solid foundation. So, so in here, we were interested in King Nebuchadnezzar. You can do some amazing studies of who he was. The extra biblical text lay out historically who Nebuchadnezzar was. He was a man who was very effective in leading an army. And he conquered many of their... Let me show you a map of the, the Babylonian Empire, which he led. So here's... Uh, this is the Babylonian Empire. You can see that it stretches from... It's pretty much the Middle East. At that time, that was what, where, how the world existed. This was the center point of, of existence. So here we are. The Babylonian Empire takes up all of that. So context. Jerusalem. Here it is. There's the Dead Sea. Last week, we were at the Sea of Galilee. There's the size of it. Over here is Babylon. 
So we're introduced, go back to that scripture for me for a second. It says that we are introduced to King Nebuchadnezzar. And you can leave that. Never mind. Leave this there. But we get, we're introduced to, King ba- uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, who's leading the Babylonian Empire, and then he builds a, a, a statue, an idol, to worship. And he says the Bible tells us that it's 90 feet tall. This is a small estimates: 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. They have actually found some. Uh, some uh, this is at the Temple of Karat. Uh, is where this is. Then these uh, are. That's 97 feet tall. So those are people down there. Give you an idea how big 90 feet is. So if you were to walk into the city, you can see this pretty well. It's a 90 foot statue. It did not look like that. It would have been an image of a man, but it was large enough for that. At the top there is about nine feet across that before the pinnacle. So that is how large it was at the base. And then it went up as an image of a man, or some type of image. And that this was what they were worshiping. It was covered completely in gold. That's a lot of gold. Uh, so here we got this image that's completely uh, made of gold and it's built here. And then the verse continues on. He says, when you, uh, whenever you hear the trumpet, so, uh, um, verse four, it says, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. So, uh, a good image of it is actually found what probably what it would look like is in Daniel chapter two. He's given a prophecy of a image that would, what he built. So here we go. You hear the sound. Anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. <laughs> I mean, this is a little extreme, isn't it? Don't listen to the king. There's no if, ands, or buts. It is blazing furnace. Enjoy. Good luck. Now, I remember growing up, and I had the felt like graphics of what this story was, and it was like a like oversized campfire is what I kind of pictured. Uh, that turns out there's archaeological evidence that they had the Babylonian Empire was known for building huge things, and so they had huge kilns. This is one actually still operation in 1932 when this picture was taken. Taken, taken. Uh, this was a being used to build bricks, still being used, and this is what it would have looked like. So it, it's not a little fire pit that they're being thrown into. It is a huge, huge furnace designed to uh, make mass mark uh, mass. Produce, there we go, there's the word I'm looking for, mass-produced bricks. And this is what they would have been thrown into. It had multiple entrances that would have been able to uh, increase heat, lower the heat. So here is the picture. We've got these people from all over the world being brought to Babylon. Now they got to worship this king. So Daniel, who's writing the book, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which not not the real names, that's their Babylonian names, are brought to Babylon. And here we go. They are told that if they don't worship that idol that he just built, they're going to be put into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bow to the ground and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Here we go. This, is, this means every empire, every kingdom that uh, Nebuchadnezzar has defeated so far has been brought to Babylon. The smartest of the smart have been brought to Babylon to be taught how to be good Babylonians. Here they are. They're being trained. They're being brought up to be good Babylonians. And now he's training them how to worship like a Babylonian. And he says, now, if you're going to worship like a Babylonian, here's an uh, image of my God. Worship it when the music starts. Uh, he says, and so everybody bows down. All the nations, everybody da- bows down. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed of the Jews. There's three guys who do not bow down. 
Three guys. He's, and we got some uh, tattletales here. Th- those are the kids. Like, if those of you have parents know how this went down. The, the astrologers are like, King Nebuchadnezzar, there's three over there. They didn't bow down. They didn't do what you told them to. <laughs> it's just like, I, I'm so used to hearing that. It's just, they told you, they told, <laughs> so here they are, they're, they're telling on, the, on them. They says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't put anything, they didn't but worship. So whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. So here, here's key, is that these aren't just guys who've been brought from Jerusalem to Babylon. These are guys who have been brought from Jerusalem to Babylon, who've been now raised into a position of leadership. And it says, they didn't bow down. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. Keeps going. It says, they refuse to serve your gods and do, and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered Shadrach, Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego to be brought before him. Keep going. When they were uh, brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is this true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to, worship, to serve my gods and to worship the gold statue I set up? How dare you? I put you in a position of leadership, and now you won't even, at the very minimum, bow down and worship the, the gold statue I put before you. It says, I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. Here he is. He's in a rage. If you read the rest of, of Daniel, you'll find out that this guy had some mental disorders. Like, like he had anger issues to the point that eventually he is out in the, in the pasture eating grass like a cow. That's how crazy Nebuchadnezzar goes. Read your Bible. It's there. So he, he's, go, he's going crazy. He's upset, but now he's giving them a break. He's saying, I'll give you one more shot. I'm going to bring in the musicians. They're going to play the, their instruments. You better bow down. He says, uh, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue from my power my power here's what i want you to understand i started off the message saying that we it needs to be okay that your faith is tested i want to let's let's emphasize that put that in your notes your faith will be challenged your faith will be challenged at some point in your life you are at some point in your walk with god at some place your faith will be challenged now, here's what I want to warn you against, because when challenges come, what happens is your perspective, perception, for your, yeah, your focus gets put on the challenge. Everything else is ignored. All I can see is the challenge. All I can see is the frustration. All I can see is what's happening to me, and I get so focused on that that I see nothing else. It happened to Elijah. The prophet in the Old Testament, he, was, uh, he just had a moment where he builds an altar, sets it all up puts a, uh, a sacrifice on it, then dumps water on it, and then prays to God for it to be consumed. And a fire comes out of heaven, burns it up. Then he goes and kills all the prophets of Baal who he was having a worship contest with. And he gets in, so he's at that point. Then he gets a letter from Jezebel. Queen Jezebel sends him a letter and says, I'm going to kill you for doing this. So what does he do? <laughs> I got this. Just, I just saw a fire come from heaven and consume. No, he runs. He runs and hides and prays to God for him to take his life because everybody is against him and nobody is with him worshiping God. It's not fair. Everybody hates me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll go eat worms. Literally. I mean, that's his, like, his little like, crybaby fest. 
But the problem is that he was so focused on the one person that wanted to kill him, he thought everybody wanted to kill him. He was so focused on that he was worshiping God that he didn't notice that there was people all around him. So God had to inform him, hey, uh, you're not alone. And <laughs> there's one person trying to kill you, not everybody. But we get so focused on the negative. We get so focused when we get challenged and the test comes at us. That's, that's all we see. The test is I'm fighting uh, this addiction. So that's all I think about. That's all I see. That's all I, it's, I, I won't overcome it. It's too hard. I got the papers in the mail and the, the divorce is, is going through. And that's all we can think about. I've got the report from the doctor and the cancer is back. That's all I can think about. I get so consumed with what is happening in front of me. The, the bank statement doesn't look right and I don't, it's not working the way I think it should work. So we get so consumed with that that we see nothing else. Our, the challenge causes us to only look at the challenge. But this morning, I want to challenge us to let the challenge see something different. Change our pers- perspective of what we're looking at. What, what we're seeing, and we need to understand that the challenge is God's chance for us. The challenge is actually God's chance for us. So, so many times we get so stuck in a situation where we're like, oh, I got a hangnail. Oh, you, you know this. Somebody, you, you, everybody in your, has a person that's in, in your life that is like this. I got a hangnail, and it's going to get infected, and then it's going to cause my blood to be infected, and then it's going to go to my heart, and I'm going to die. If you, if you don't have somebody in, the, in your life like that, you are that person. <laughs> you, we, 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 we have that person, all they can think of is, is that one thing that's going wrong. We get so focused on that one thing, we miss out on what God's trying to do. And when, in fact, Joseph said it this way. He said, when every, he, he was the, the guy in the Old Testament, he had um, his brothers sold him into slavery because he had a coat of many colors and they were jealous. So they sold him into slavery. He goes, ends up being a slave, then gets thrown into prison, is in prison, then ends up being the second in charge of all Egypt. His brothers show up before him asking him for food. And he says to them, what you meant for evil, God has used for good. See, what the enemy and what the challenge you think is trying to eliminate you is what God is going to use to elevate you. What you think is a, a test that is trying to tear you down, God is going to use it to test you up. Now, what do I mean, test you up? Because when you take a test, it, it's you, when, to go from one grade to the next grade, you've got to pass the test. To get into college, you've got to pass the test. To move from one place to the next, you've got to understand it's not a trial that God's trying to, to manipulate with you and mess with you. Now, I did have a, I had a professor in college who did test... I, I, it's still like the, the angst comes back. He did test this way. The questions he would t- put at the top, what is the best answer? Now that's, that's a jerk move because I just want to get the right answer. I, I don't need multiple right answers and pick the best right answer. That's a jerk. That's going to, he has a special place in hell. Um, <laughs> again, I don't have the power to send anyone to hell. <laughs> he says, there he is. He's, uh, uh, God doesn't do tests that way. His tests are for, not for him. He knows everything. He knows where you're at. He knows where your faith level is. The test is not for him. It's for you. It's so that you can understand where you're at. What, what, what area do I need to grow in? And, and even when we fail a test, it's not God going, ha, 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 I got him. Lightning strike him. No, he's, that moment where you fail a test is God just going, see, that's the area you need to grow in. 
See, you, you, oh, your relationships are struggling? That's the area you need to grow in. Your finances are struggling? That's the area you need to, 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 to work on. It's not that he's trying to send you to a place of total condemnation. He's trying to convict you to grow in an area. See, there's a big difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation comes from the enemy and tries to destroy you. Conviction comes from God and tries to raise you up. So he says, Paul says it this way. He says, you need to, we, I am able to give thanks in all things, not for all things. See, we're like, some, there's like, oh, if you have enough faith, when, that, when you get the bad news, you're going to be like, oh, yeah. Hoo-hoo, cancer. Yeah, no, that's, okay. Filter. That's not normal. Okay, there's something wrong with you if you rejoice about bad things. He doesn't say rejoice and be thankful for the bad things. He says rejoice and be thankful in all things. Why is Paul able to, able to say that? Because he knows how to be content and he knows what's happening in the challenge is not to destroy him, but to help him grow. So, uh, in James chapter 1 verse 4, it says, Let perseverance have its full course so that... When it takes its full measure, you will be able to grow. You'll be fully complete and ready for everything. See, when God allows us to go through challenges and tests, it's not to destroy us. It's to strengthen us, to grow us, to make us who we need to be. So, so we have to understand that we, we got to change our perception, perspective of what challenges are. So, so how, are, how is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego able to move forward, to go to look at a fire, blazing furnace and go... Nope, not going to worship. Because clearly, everyone else had that moment. They had the same, they were raised the same way. They grew up the same way. They were taught the same thing. They knew the right thing, but they didn't do the right thing. What was different about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Is that they had, the, when, your challenge, when your faith is challenged, you will have confident faith. Now, see, this is where everybody has a backstory. Everybody has a backstory. So the reason they were able to have a confident faith is because they had already been challenged in their faith. In their story, you got to go back to Daniel chapter 1. In Daniel chapter 1, they, they, they get the, the, the review, the summary of, hey, Babylon uh, has conquered Israel. They've taken the smart ones. They've taken the Babylon. And they wanted to indoctrinate them with the Babylonian culture. So they're going to teach them how to be Babylonians. And here's how you are, Babylonian. You eat this food. And the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, who you'll see in a second, said, no, we're not going to do it. They said, we're not going to eat it. How about let's do a test? We'll, t- we'll take the challenge. You, we'll, we'll eat our food, you, everybody else, and you compare us at the end of that time and see who's better. And here's what in Jan- Daniel chapter 1, verse 18 says, that at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's their Hebrew names. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, enchanters, in his whole kingdom. See, the reason why they're able to walk into a situation where they faced uh, a blazing furnace and were able to stay, stand confident in their faith because they had already been challenged in their faith. See, when you need to understand, like you're standing here today, there's more than likely you have a situation in your past 
where God showed up. Where the faith, when you took a, a small step of faith, he was there for you. He was in that situation. He was in that moment. And you didn't understand, I love the Elevation song, he's going to do it again. He's going to do it just as he showed up before. He'll do it again. Because when you allow your faith to be challenged and you take the step and walk in that faith, then you know he's been there before. He'll do it again. He'll, he'll, he'll be there again. So Daniel chapter 3 verse 16 he says, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so we're going back to where Nebuchadnezzar is giving him a second chance. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, God, whom we serve, is able to save us. <laughs> See, this is where I want to get my, I, I need an organ. I need to start preaching because your God is able let me tell you, your God is able to save you. Your God is, ah, save you. You're not going to go with me? I need some amens. I need, I can start, stand up, start clapping. Because your God is able. Now, in, in reality, we need those moments to hear that your God is able. Your God is able to walk into your life and change your life. Your God is able to redeem you and walk you away from that addiction. Your God is able to redeem your marriage. Your God is able to heal your body. Your God is able to do that. And at, in a good Pentecostal church, which you guys clearly are not, or would have been going, yes, amen, uh-huh. <laughs> you can laugh at me. I guess it's better than nothing. <laughs> He's able. He's able. He's able. But he will, and he says, they say to him, he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. See, it, it's easy to have faith in a God who's able when he's doing it for you. It's easy to get all pumped up and excited. It's another thing to have faith when he doesn't show up. See, they said God's going to show up, but we're not locking him into how he's going to show up. We prefer that he come down and, and change their mind. And wouldn't it have been really cool that at that moment, the, the king was like, yeah, you know what? You guys got real faith. Go, go forward and be strong. That would have been really cool. And we would have rejoiced because our God is able to change the mind of a king. He's able. He's able to change the doctor's report. He's able. But even if he doesn't, even if it doesn't go the way I want it to go, we're still not going to worship your gods. We're still not going to go where you want us to go, even if he doesn't. See, this is the difference between transactional faith and transformational faith. See, transactional faith is, ba is dependent upon what God does for us. Transformational faith is dependent on who God is. See, we get, we get so focused and it's really easy to serve a God who is there for us and does what we want him to do. When we get so focused on what God does, and this happens in almost every denomination, every religion, it gets so focused on what God does for me. It's what is God going to do for me? And it's a transactional faith. I went to church, therefore I'm going to have a good week. I paid my tithes, therefore I'm going to have a good bank account. I, I, I did what you told me to do and I prayed. And so therefore my marriage should be good. And it's all, it's all about what I put in, I should get something back. And as soon as we don't get back what we thought we should have got back, we're, we're questioning our faith. 
But transformational faith is not focused on what God does. It's only focused on who he is. See, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't worried about who, what God was going to do. They were focused on who their God was. So it's the difference between transactional faith and transformational faith. Daniel chapter uh, 3, verse 19, says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The New Living Translation says it was so mad that his face became distorted. I don't know what it was. <laughs> he got distorted. His face was, he was so angry and so furious that it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He went from giving them a second chance to now he's done. He says that, um, he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded seven of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing the robes, trousers, uh, turbans and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The, king com- the king's command-, command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let me, let me pause there real quick. Let me rabbit trail for just a second. See, so, so many times our rage and our emotions are so intense and in the moment, that it doesn't just hurt the people we intended to hurt. In this case, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It kills that we, those, around, those that we want to be strongest around us. See, when you, when you get angry at the ball game, and you start yelling and screaming, and just speaking from personal experience, that you, you have that moment where you yell and scream, you not only cause damage to the person you're yelling at, but you're also causing damage to the kids who are on the bench. See, when you're in the car, see, I'm not just going to pick on the dads. Moms, when you're in the car and you're cussing out the driver in front of you, not only does, do they not hear it uh, and does nothing to them, it affects the kid in the back seat. See, our rage and our emotions, when we let them get out of hand, don't just impact us or the people we're trying to hurt. They impact, us, impact those closest to us. That's free. You, you don't even have to pay for that one. Um, <laughs> and, and these three men, firmly tied up, fell into the blazing furnace. So going back to that picture, there they are, pushed into this huge furnace. They throw them in. They fell into this furnace, bound, hotter, so hot that it killed the people around them. You know they felt it. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Wait a minute, <laughs> weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking in the fire. Come on, God has a sense of humor. Because now he's like, not only, okay, see, I can, I can, it, it, there they are. They're thrown in the fire furnace. He looks down. It would be really amazing that they're just not being consumed. But instead, he looks into the fire. He can see them not just standing there, but they're like in party mode with Jesus. It says that this guy looked like the Son of God. This is what in the Old Testament is called a theophany. It's Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. So here he is. He shows up. There's Jesus is in there with them. But he's not just standing there with them. 
He's having like a party with them. Like, hey guys, how you doing? They're walking around in the furnace. Like, hey, did you see these bricks over here? They're like, they're looking pretty good about need to take these ones out. You guys need anything to drink? What do, what do you need over here? I mean, they're having a flipping party in the fiery furnace and Nebuchadnezzar's looking down going, what is happening? He's like, there's, there's something else in there with them. And it's, it looks like the son of God. It says that he continues on the next verse. He says, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and all the royal advisors crowded around them. Watch this. Amen. I get some interaction. I'll take it however I can get it. They saw saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor... (laughs) Sorry. Thank you, whoever that was. <laughs> Nor was the hair of their heads singed. Their robes were scor- not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Oh, man. This is like Stephen Furtick preaching moment, isn't it? Come on, let me tell you. God's got something. He's going to protect you in the fire. It's going to be so awesome. He's going to be walking in the fire with you. Let me tell you. He's going to be doing it with you. You don't have to be worrying about it. He's gonna, you're going to come out unscathed, untouched. Un- you're going to smell like smoke. Woo! Come on! <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> Here he is. This is that moment where you're like, yeah! And I, I wish I could preach that. The problem is, their story doesn't automatically become our story. See, I'd like to preach it that you're going to come out of your situation unscathed. But also, I know sometimes your scar is more valuable than not having one. I also know that there's times where your pain is going to be able to speak to somebody else that's going through the same pain. And like we like for it to be where I don't even smell like smoke, but sometimes that's, that past that you have and that odor that's with you is that challenge that you're going through is not just for you, but it's going to be for somebody else. See, I'd love for that to be the point of the story, but this isn't the point of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The point of this story and why God puts it in the Bible and why God makes sure that we understand this and grab fullness is what happens next. It says that when they, so uh, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So as as I'm wrapping up here, here's what I want you to grab this is that when your challenged faith channels the glory to Jesus Christ. Challenge faith channels the glory to Jesus Christ. And th- this is the point of, of the message is that when we walk through these challenged situations, when we walk through where our test is being, where we're being tested and our faith is being put into a place where we're going through a fire, it's not about how we come through it. It's who gets the glory as we my faith is perfected. When I go, when I persevere, I can see what God has.